You're listening to TIP. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this Wednesday's release of the podcast where we're talking about Bitcoin. On today's show, I have a veteran investor and fellow Bitcoiner with Lawrence Lepard. Lawrence has been in the private equity space for multiple decades and goes by the byline, fix the money, fix the world. During our conversation, he provides an in-depth framework for why the current circumstances are a very different setup compared to anything we've seen during the past 10 years. We talk extensively about the inner plumbing and the flows of the various financial sectors. We talk about the impacts of global events that are making prices skyrocket. We talk about why Bitcoin will be so instrumental to a portfolio in this type of environment, among many other themes. So without further delay, here's my chat with the thoughtful Lawrence Lepard. You're listening to Bitcoin Fundamentals by The Investors Podcast Network. Now for your host, Preston Pish. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm really excited. This conversation is long overdue, Larry. I'm really excited <laughs> to have this and, and have it recorded. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to uh, finally talk to you one-on-one. Yeah. And I'm excited that hopefully we bump into each other in Miami here next week. For sure. It's, it's the plan. So here's where I want to start off. And this was the question that I saw posted online for you specifically. And I just really like this to kind of kick off the discussion. The person asked, which market indicators are you most surprised about, concerned about, or paying attention to right now? A great question. Very smart. So, well, a couple of things. I mean, just the general stock market, and this ties into what probably is going to be one of your later questions, which is why hasn't gold taken off given all the gold-friendly stuff that's going on, or even Bitcoin? Why is Bitcoin kind of mired you know, down below its all-time high given what happened in Russia? And I think, you know, I think what, Preston, what's really going on here, this reminds me a lot of 82 and 83, and I was an investor back then, which tells you my age, and it takes a while for the world to wake up. You know, you got big investment committees, you got decisions that take time. I mean, you and I can change on a dime. I mean, we see Putin do something, we're like, oh, I know what that means. Boom, do it. But, you know, big asset allocators, I mean, they get reports and they have a time frame and they have to have votes and, you know, it just, things don't happen instantly in, in investment land. And, to that point, you know, it's shocking to me that probably the biggest indicator that I'm most shocked about is given everything that's going on, it's shocking to me that the S&P is still within 5% of its all-time high, right? <laughs> yes, it, sir. You know, we had this dip and it just came rallying back. And it just goes to show you how ingrained this buy the dip is. And it's because, you know, it's muscle memory. It's because it's worked since 2008. I mean, there are people who are stock market investors who've never seen anything close to a bear market, you know, and don't realize that between, you know, the peak in 206 and the bottom in 208, stocks lost 50% of their value. You know, the same story in 2000, 2000 to 2002, stocks lost 50% of their value. I don't think the world at large, many investors today don't understand that that's possible. And those were from lower levels on a, any way you want to measure it, right? In terms of you know the value compared to earnings, the value compared to the margins, the value compared to sales, you name it. We're more overvalued now. So I'm watching the stock market very carefully because to me, that's an indicator of the sentiment living in, quote unquote, the old world. I think our world is in the process of changing from a deflationary world that we enjoyed from 1980 to, 19, or to 2000, 2019, 2000. And we're slowly rounding that bottom 
And we're now entering an inflationary environment, a serious inflationary environment where molecules and stuff are going to be a lot more important than paper. And so I'm watching the stock market carefully. I'm also watching the bond market carefully. And so the 10-year, as we all know, has just taken off like, you know, like a rocket ship. And you know, mortgage rates are going up a lot, right? We've seen them go from 3% to 5% on a 30-year. And you know, obviously, this is all because inflation's going up. And, and so you know, these are all natural things you would expect, given how much inflation's gone up. But people are thinking, well, this is, this is temporary, or it's going to turn around. Not transitory. I mean, even the Fed got rid of that word. But the one that amazed me is a guy on Twitter, a great guy, does a great piece of work named Macro Elf. And he laid out the bond swaps five years out. People think that from 2027 to 2032, the five-year inflation swap is at 2.5%. So that means the general people, sophisticated people who are investing in the marketplace today, think we're going to eventually get all this stuff under control and go back to a low inflation, deflationary environment. And I think that is just absolutely and completely wrong. You know, and so it's, it's classic investing in the rearview mirror. And let me give you, let me draw in this 1982 example because I think it's useful. So, you know, I'm just out of, I'm out of college and I, you know, I work in Wall Street for a couple of years and I go to business school. I'm out of business school and I'm investing money profession. That's my job. And I remember the time playing very, very well. And everyone was saying, you know, and, and we had just come out of a, a decade, the 70s, where bonds just got annihilated. Stocks got annihilated multiple times, kind of they were seesawing up and down. And everyone thought inflation, and inflation was extremely high. Gold had gone from 35 to 800. And the consensus view in 81, 82, and 83 was inflation is going to be with us for the rest of our lives. Mm. It's a serious problem that will never go away. Inflation mm -hmm. will never go away. And therefore, bonds are the worst investment in the world, and stocks are the second worst investment in the world. Now, it had all just changed. And you know, the one smart guy out there who I listened to was a guy named Gary Schilling, who was an economist way back then, and he wrote a book, and he foresaw what was coming, and he bought the 10-year strips. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's where they strip the principal off of a 10-year, and actually bought the 20 and the 30-year strips as well. And he put his entire net worth into that, like in 1981, and this was when the 10, you know, 30-year was trading at 10 or 14% or something, right? And he made multiples of his money mm -hmm. in the next five, enough that he could retire. And so, so the point is that he caught a trend change from an inflationary environment to a deflationary environment. And stocks took off. And of course, it took a while to get going. I mean, it was, I remember 82 and 83 was pretty choppy, you know, for stocks. And, you know, bonds did well in that time frame because inflation slowly started to come back down. But remember, you had an entire world thinking one way. Mm -hmm. And it took them time to shift their thought pattern. You still have an entire world thinking that Lacey Hunt is right. And he's dead ass wrong. He's completely <laughs> and utterly wrong. Yeah. And, I mean, and he's talking his book because he's made all his money off the deflation trade. And so, you know, what's happened here is we underinvested in real productive capacity and it's now showing up everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't mm -hmm. have enough things and we got plenty of paper. Yeah. And you know, you're beginning to see this playing itself out. I mean, things have been doing better, paper has been doing worse, but there's still a lot of doubt and you know, it's going to take time. My opinion is when you know, we're very very close to what I call the launch pad for silver and gold, which is and then we'll get to bitcoin in a minute, but you know, which is when when gold gets through 2000 with authority and silver gets through 30 with authority, it's going to be game on. 
people are going to start to realize, okay, you know, this, this is real. We've got inflation, a new all-time high in gold. That'll be meaningful. But right now, you know, they've been able to, and, you know, they've been able to hold it down. That's the other thing. The government obviously has their own set of interests. You know, they know that these are the warning signals and alarms. They know that oil's a problem. And I'm sure they're out there creating paper oil and paper silver and paper gold. But at the end of the day, you know, and, and probably paper natural gas if they can. But at the end of the day, paper natural gas isn't going to warm Germany, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so- Boy, oh boy, what a problem they got there. Right. And they got a serious yeah. problem. Yeah. And it's not going to, you know, and, and, you know, fertilizer that's gone up 5X, you know, is going to significantly increase food costs. And so, yeah. you know, I think, whereas I think a lot of people are thinking, well, this inflation is bad, but it's, it's because of COVID or it's because of the poor, it's because of supply chain. You know, it's all because of things and things will go back to getting better. And all I would ask people to consider is maybe they won't get better. What if they actually get worse? You know, I, and I think that's a possibility. I think it's a real possibility that the market is just starting to come to grips with. So that's kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but that's kind of how I'm looking at the world right now. And I agree with everything that you're saying. The one thing that I want to go back to, because there's a lot there that we're going to obviously talk through the rest of the episode, but the 5% off the highs on the S&P after what we've been seeing in the marketplace with the Russian invasion, the the inflation prints that look like they're going double digits, I would suspect here in the coming quarter or two, and equities priced at, what would you say the equity market is priced at? Two, 3% as far as the yeah. yield right now? Like, right, exactly. Like, it's totally crazy. And you had alluded to this idea that everyone has been duped into this buy the dip mentality because it's just, it has worked. Larry, what do you think that the average participant, they've probably never even lived through a bear market. When you think about the age of a lot of these analysts on Wall Street and when they kind of came in, anybody under the age of, what would it be, 30, 35 years old has never even experienced a bear market. Right. That's exactly right. I mean, the last 12 years, you know, or more have been nothing but bull. And, you know, and the other thing that, that I think people aren't factoring in is, Look at what the Fed is saying. Now, now we all know they're going to have to flip-flop and they're going to pivot. And we'll get to that in future part of this conversation. But, mm-hmm. you know, any one of the things they're talking about doing would create a problem. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, first of all, the two 10-year spread turning over, that says we're going to have a recession. <laughs> yeah. But secondly, more importantly, I mean, they're talking about nine rate hikes. I mean, good God, man. Look at, look at what they did from 2015 to 2017. They, they had to very, very slowly creep it from zero to two. And that almost blew up the markets. And, you know I mean? and that was then they're, and, then they're talking have, about, and you didn't yeah. have any inflation to to like uh, exactly. You know, there was nothing. Well, and they're, and they're talking about tapering QT. You know, they they never really tapered before. All they did was let it run off. Yeah. And as yeah. you'll recall, when Powell said, "Yeah, it's going to be boring," and you know, it's all this this uh, you know this tapering, it's all on autopilot. You know, the market quickly dove twenty percent, and he had to do the first pivot. So. You know, we know a pivot's coming in the future, and that's what will lead us to hyperinflation, in my opinion. But the point is, and we also know corporate margins are falling, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they're going to lose, you know, if, if demand is soft, they're going to lose pricing power, but labor costs are going up. We know that. We saw what happened to Deere. You know, they got 5% gains for five years on, on wages, which is obviously below inflation. But, you know, and, and we're at peak margins right now. I mean, average corporate margins, average profitability right now is 11%. It's the highest it's ever been. So, I mean, here's a perfect storm. 
You got the Fed tightening. You got the Fed withdrawing liquidity. You got the, your, all your corporate costs going up. You got soft demand up above, and you got peak multiples. Yeah. I mean, Hussman's right. The market could go down 75% and still not be fairly valued. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. I mean, this whole 60-40 thing is just going to blow up in everybody's <laughs> faces. It's going to be tragic. I mean, it is first of all, the, for, the 40 is going to be worthless, yeah. you know, and the 60 is going to get marked down by 50% at least, in my opinion. So it, it's, it's an, I mean, I, my hair's on fire. I'm telling you, I'm sitting here. Well, and you say, you say it'll get marked down 50% at least. Uh, you know, maybe I'm even more bearish than you in that in order for them to continue this manipulation in place, I just don't know how they're going to be able to sustain any semblance of normal price signals. And if we look at the bond market currently priced at what, two and a half percent ish to 3%, if inflation starts blowing out double digits, we're more than 50% then maybe. Oh, easily. And yeah. And, yeah. And, and, you know, so, so then what do they do? I mean, you know, the thing that, that gets really super interesting is trying to game theory out, you know, moves and counter moves. I mean, it's been amazing to me the way the Fed has been bluffing, you know, this tough guy Fed, you yeah, know, I mean, and, yeah. I've got Bullard who used to be the biggest dove trying to be the biggest hawk, you know, <laughs> and they're saying, well, we'll go to 50 basis points. We're going to have nine, nine increases, you know, we could do withdrawal next month. I mean, it's interesting though. They talk about all that stuff and you notice when it comes down to it, I mean, like if, if in my view, if Paul had any balls at all, he would have said, oh, it's 50 basis points, it's hundred basis points, you know, if he'd been serious about it. But here's the thing that, that they don't say that we all know. They really need this inflation. The reason they need it is yeah. that they can't deal with this debt structure unless you know, they get inflationary growth to make the, the inflation, you know, to make the numbers such that the debt is a smaller percentage of GDP. That's key to their whole thing. So you know, my, my sense is their playbook is they're going to talk about how tough they're going to be and how they're going to get inflation under control, but they're really not going to do very much. Yeah. You yeah, know, just let gonna, the market uh, sell they're off. Gonna, and, they're yeah. going to let it. Yeah, they're going to yeah. let it go. Yeah. You know, yeah. Wow. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about just the, the Russia piece here. So, yeah. so this is coming out next week. So we're going to know the outcome of, of how tomorrow <laughs> kind of happens. But Putin has made the comment that they're going to pay with Ruple. And if they don't like it, then he's going to shut off the power. Uh, is, this, is this something, is this a real threat? Is he going to actually have to flip his cards at the end of this hand and uh, demonstrate that he actually is, is going to shut off the power to the EU? I, I suspect he is. And, and I suspect he will. I mean, I, I don't think he's bluffing. I, I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. look, I mean, it, it's, it's hard, you know, it's, it's, this is a very tricky situation to be in because, you know, I don't like the political leaders on, you know, all around the world. And he's <laughs> one of them. And I, I in no way support this guy. Okay. I mean, he's a, you know, he's an evil guy. Having said that, I understand what he's doing and I understand mm -hmm. why he's doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I look at it from an analytical point of view, not a judgmental point of view. And I think that he is in a situation where he knows he's got the bull whip and he, you know, he's got what the world needs. He's got commodities. And he's, you know, he, he was very strategic in the way he let us get way out over our skis with all this leverage. Mm -hmm. And now he's saying, fine, you know, you want my stuff that you need? That's great. You can pay me in something that's real because, you know, in my opinion, what he's doing now is like what De Gaulle did in 71. And that's why this is, to me, this is an enormous monetary earthquake. I mean, I thought gold and silver were going to work and Bitcoin were going to work beautifully long before Putin did any of this stuff. Yeah. To me, what just happened, I was like, I fell out of my chair. You know, I was just like, this is a major, major accelerant. 
to the trends that already exist. And then when the, re, when the U.S. reacted, well, when Trudeau reacted to the truckers and then the U.S. reacted to Russia by freezing stuff, I mean, that's like an advertisement for Bitcoin and gold, right? Yes. I mean, yes. The authorities can grab your money, you know. Well, the uh, FX, I think the FX reserve piece was, you know, I was talking, I think the Luke Roman, the day that that happened. And I know when we stopped recording, we were just like, I can't believe this just happened. Like this is. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I had the same reaction. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's I mean, what happened to the rule of law? You know what I mean? I mean, it, it's, you know, and, and so, and of course we're demonizing this guy, but you know, it's like, okay, but uh, did what is what we just did. Is that correct as well? Whatever. Let's, let's not get into the what's right and what's wrong. Let's just look at what's happening. The fact of the matter is he is saying, I'm not going to take this paper in exchange for my real stuff. And we are trying to demonize him and you know, I, I think the U.S. strategy has been, well, let's see if we can piss off all his oligarchs and maybe they'll, maybe they'll knock him off. But my sense is that he's pretty well defended and that's not going to happen. And he's going to be able to carry through on this, on this thing. And, you know, I, I'm guessing the way I read it, if he doesn't get payment from Germany in the form of rubles, he's not going to ship the gas. They're so, going to turn the pipeline off. So you know? what, what happens then? Because I'm with you. I think that that's the highest probable outcome here is that- right. They don't pay. He shuts off the gas. And then what? Well, they go into some form of rationing. You know, gas prices go up even higher. You know, fertilizer prices go up even higher. You know, I, I think that, I mean, he can sit there. He doesn't need to sell that gas. You know, whereas the Western world needs, the Western world is highly leveraged with a lot of paper, a lot of derivatives, a lot of stuff, you know, that it's all linked together. And when you pull out the actual physical piece, the physical collateral, you know, the, the paper stuff doesn't work anymore. And so, you know, we've already seen, I mean, you know, you've seen Trafigura and some of these big commodity houses have had serious problems. I and mean, we saw what happened with nickel, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the nickel blowout, that just, that, that basically just revealed the LME to be a complete farce. Yes. Right. And, and something very similar, by the way, could happen with silver and gold. I think it might. I mean, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I can't predict it and I can't guarantee it. Yeah. But the point is, we've got this enormous paper structure mm. built on these underlying things. And if you stop the flow of the underlying things like he's doing, everybody looks around at the paper and says, huh, what's this paper <laughs> worth if it's not connected to something? Yeah. You know, I mean, my, my counterparty is going to fail. And so this is, you know, you had the same thing in 2008, but the paper was all built on the houses and, and it was the banks and it was at a lower level. And the Fed could step in and say, okay, no problem. We're just going to, we're going to make all these guys money good, you know, with fake money. And well, so you, we're didn't, not, you didn't have this strategic yeah. situation kind right. of Right. I mean, yeah, out. Russia wasn't yeah. involved. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah. So here, I mean, you know, look, it's a big mess and it is going to, in my view, get worse because I don't think this guy is going to back down. I think he understands the vulnerabilities. I mean, there's a lot of data that says he understands how fractional reserve the gold market is. And it's interesting, the, the choice, the ruble, the ruble price he chose for gold was perfectly calculated to match today's price. And so he's, he's basically backing the ruble with gold. I mean, he's not exchanging. You can't take the ruble and get gold out of his, out of his vault. So it's not full exchangeable standard. But in, in a piece, by being able to, by, by setting the prices the way he has, he's taking you know, people to a gold standard because he's forcing other people who want his resources to pay in something that's real. And that's, that's huge. And it's going to be, you know, the West is going to find that 
there's not as much stuff out there as we thought. And um, we've underinvested. We've invested in the wrong things and we've underinvested in the right things. And so the price of everything is about to get a lot higher. And, you know, I mean, I'm shocked. I, I'm sure you've seen this. I saw, I think on Twitter yesterday, I saw some, some $7, $8 for gasoline in California. Yeah. I mean, how long? I mean, and, and so you look at the stock market, the stock market is within 5% of its record high. And you've got $7 <laughs> gasoline. Doesn't I mean, I'm like, sense. you know, like, like my head is spinning. I mean, how is that possible? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it, it makes no sense. And, and the reason is the stock market guys are doing a Tina. They're doing, well, there is no alternative and there's lots of liquidity and, you know, we can lever it up and it's worked so far. But you know it, I know it. This is going to end badly for yeah. bond bulls and stock bulls. And it's going to end better for commodity people. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Our friends at Coriant provide wealth management services centered around you. Coriant's goal is to exceed your expectations and simplify your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. They are one of the largest integrated fee-only U.S. registered investment advisors, and Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. They have extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. The teams at Coriant put the collective power of their expertise into building you the custom wealth, investment, and family office solutions that can help you reach your holistic financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, speak with an advisor today at Coriant.com. That's spelled C-O-R-I-E-N-T dot com. That's Corient dot com. When Rain Wilson had a great idea, he turned to AT&T Business. They assured him no matter how out there his idea may be, they had his back. So he came up with this, a talking pillow designed to put you to sleep, backed by a reliable network and the only network with built-in security controls. And thus, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your business to the next level at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. All right, back to the show. I think your comment about the nickel when they stopped the exchange and then they rolled back trades that happened that entire day is truly a precursor for what's to come, I think, for maybe the rest of this year or the, even the year after in Absolutely. This, I mean, yeah. it, Twitter, Twitter had it right. I mean, they, you know, the house doesn't like to lose, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they did this to the hunts. I mean, and this is something for all Bitcoiners, gold people, silver people, we've all got to be aware of this. They are going to change the rules. Yeah. Okay. I saw this firsthand. I was massively short the financials in September of 2008. They outlawed selling the financials in September. I lost 5,000 basis points, mm. you know, in three weeks. And my fund went from having an up I had the Michael Burry trade on, but I didn't know what CDS was. And my fund was up 50% and I ended the year down six. Wow. You know, because, because, because they, they changed, changed the rules. Because they changed the rules, right? I mean, the Hunt brothers, the Hunt brothers had them beat. He, they had them cornered. There wasn't enough silver. 
and, and they changed the rules. I mean, whoever was long those nickel contracts, they had it. You know, I mean, this was, but look, at, I mean, they did it with GameStop. They did it, you know, they, they, they do this over and over again. So, so how do the you, difference, so the difference you, with Russia is they can't change the rules if you need the physical stuff. You know? mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, they, right. I mean, you either, you either have the oil and gas, you know, or you don't. And, you know, the paper is irrelevant, right? Well, so people from the Bitcoin space that are listening to this, they yeah. hear you say that, that they're just going to change the rules on you. How do you think that they could do that with respect to Bitcoin? Well, you know, fortunately, it's, it's quite a ways down the road and they're going to have a hard time. You know, we've got some senators in favor, et cetera. They're going to have a hard time coming after it that way. But, but having said that, as things get more and more desperate, you don't know where they'll go. I think, I think they're going to do one, well, there are a couple of things I predict. First of all, you know how, you know how when you, uh, if you have foreign money overseas, uh, if you're an American and you have an overseas bank account with more than $10,000, you have to report it, right? A lot of people don't know that, but you do. You send a form to uh, uh, Detroit every year. I do it because I have some accounts in Switzerland with gold in them. I, you know, and, and they, they do that, they, they did that to, shut, to try and crack down on tax evaders, right? My suspicion is that something very similar will be coming for Bitcoin. They'll say, okay, you've got to report your Bitcoin addresses and you got to tell us how many coins you have because this is a tax evasion scheme. We don't like it. You got to do it. And at that point, every Bitcoiner in this country is going to face some difficult decisions, right? You know, do you want to just have the 12 words? What do you want to report? What don't you want to report? Whatever. We're not, we're not going to go there. But the point is, you know, that, that, that's an issue. So I, I could see them coming for that. I could also see them coming for, you know, windfall capital gains taxes on gold, silver, and Bitcoin holders. But again, the advantage of these assets is that they are bearer assets. Yes. And, and, and maybe this, you know, maybe you can hang on long enough to the point where this regime fails. I mean, in France, in, you know, in, in, with the, in the French Revolution, 1789, the assignat failed, okay? And, you know, basically the government at the time was very anti-gold and they knew all the, everyone hoarded gold because they knew the paper was failing. And so they said, you got to report your gold, you got to turn in your gold. Of course, nobody did, or a lot of people didn't. And they found people who had hidden gold or had not reported their gold and they guillotined them. Okay. So, I mean, you know, governments can be brutal with respect to people that they think are, you know, behaving outside their interests. And you could certainly see a scenario where they say, you know, we had this great, you know, fiat money scheme going, well, they wouldn't say that, but they, you know, we have this great economy growing. We have this great system going, and you sound money people. You totally trashed it for us. You know, you're you're anti-American. You've ruined our system. You know, we need to tax you. We need to know what you hold. You know, and you're I, already I seeing some Wall Streeters saying these things about our community. I mean, Mike Green's a perfect example where he was saying, "Y'all are un-American." And at that point, I was like, yeah, "Okay, yeah, well, I, I disagree with you, and I don't really yeah, want to hear I, your I, opinion anymore." I have no time for that guy. I just I, don't, I just, I don't buy into this idea of either you believe in free and open markets, right? And, right. That, and that the best, you know, if I want to go out there and I want to buy something that you think is worthless, if you actually believe in free and open markets, you should promote the person to do that because then they're going to have less buying power and less influence into the, into the direction of, of where everything goes, right? To imply something like that, to me, is such a fundamental flaw of what this country stands for, which is free and open markets and just capitalism, right? And freedom and freedom. Completely agree. I mean, at some fundamental level, you have to decide, you know, who is, who is more sovereign, the individual or the state. And, you know, statists believe 
that they have a right to tell you how to live their life, your, live your life. Yeah. And I don't believe that. And I don't believe that's what the Constitution says. I don't believe that's what the majority of Americans believe. And so I am very anti-statist. And, yeah. But there are people who are statists who, you know, they use all kinds of different mechanisms to try and, you know, control people. I mean, you know, and this has been going on for years. I mean, all these wars are driven by statists and they, all these wars are financed by fiat money. You know, if we had sound money, we wouldn't have these wars. You know that. I know that. Bitcoiners know that. Gold people know that. You know, and the statists know it too. And that's why we're their enemy. Because, it, you know, their system rewards them and punishes us. And it really, what it really does is it punishes, it doesn't just punish us, but it punishes the average working people who are unable to save their labor and therefore basically get in a situation where they can't even retire because they never know if their money is going to last. One of the glimmering hopes that I, that I see in government is yeah. at the state level relative to the federal level. So let's, let's just pull the thread and let's say at the federal level that it becomes politically popular to do some of these things that you're talking about that have been demonstrated throughout history. It appears like states like Wyoming, Texas, and a few others have already started passing some type of protective measures for self-custody. And I right. guess I'm hopeful that that competitive dynamic that exists here in the United States between the state the, the rights of state powers versus at the federal level will really kind of kick into gear and protect the interests of people that are that are local into some of these jurisdictions that have demonstrated a strong resolve for uh, protecting self custody. What are your thoughts on some of that? Well, I, I think that's right, and I you know there could be a secession of several states. I mean, obviously Florida and Texas are the two most likely candidates, and yeah, I mean it it it's. Uh, I'm in favor of that. I mean, the federal government, I mean, what do they do, really? I mean, they, they conduct wars and they redistribute income. I mean, those are the two biggest line items in their, in their budget. And, you know, if, if Texas or Florida were to say, you know, sorry, we'll opt out, you know, we'll send you our share of the military budget for national defense and we'll opt out all that other stuff, you know, it would be quite a challenge. <laughs> you know, I don't think we're going to fight another civil war. But it's, to me, it's interesting that there are big pieces of this country and hopeful that there are big pieces of this country that understand just how broken the political system and how broken the federal system is. My personal view is that the way this is going to go down is before that happens with the states uh, falling off, I, you know, people, one of the questions you, you put up a thread, so what are questions you want to ask, Larry? I think we're going to have hyperinflation, Preston. I really do. I, I you know, I don't like saying that, you know, I know others believe it, but don't say it. Well, I'll say it. I think it's going to happen. Yeah. And, and I think when the currency fails, I, just because mathematically it's, 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 it's kind of baked in and historically it's the pattern that happens when we see what's going on now happens. I don't know the time frame. It could be two years. It could be eight years, but it's somewhere in that window. And when the currency outright fails, when it will not spend, when everyone has given up on it, well, that'll lead to all the politicians being thrown out, everyone being very angry you know, a lot of suffering and pain all around for all of us. It'd be horrible. And yet, you know, I, I believe that there's a remnant of smart people in this country and others that will say, you know, the reason this, this, the reason this occurred to us is that the, that the government was broken and we've got to reform it. We've got to fix it. So we'll get, you know, Mayor Suarez will become President Suarez and, you know, we'll go to a Bitcoin standard or a gold standard and we'll have term limits. And we'll, you know, try all the criminals who put us into this mess. And, you know, there'll be a better system coming out the other side. That's, 
you know, to me, that's the task of Marty Bent's generation in this fourth turning. Yeah. I mean, you know, Marty and, and Jack Mahlers are going to be the leaders of the hero generation. They're going to lead us to the other side when this collapse occurs. And, and to me, it's pretty inevitable that it's going to occur. I mean, I, I think fiat's going to be worthless um, and not that far away. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that what we see playing out and, and people ask me this, they're like, well, how do you have so much conviction in, in that idea? And I'm, I'm saying it's not necessarily that Bitcoin is, is going to like pull it there. I think it's more that the existing system and the macro backdrop, especially in fixed income, is so incredibly broke that it's going Absolutely. to push and force this. It's going to thrust it upon us. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just, yeah. I mean, it's math. It's just math, guys. It's yeah. just so simple. You can't increase the debt load faster percentage wise than you increase the productivity without having, you know, it eventually it has to implode. It yeah. just by definition, it has to because we have to continually print more and more money. And so to me, to me, the next big thing that's going to happen is we're going to have the next Powell pivot. And I don't know when that happens. I can't predict. Nobody does. But Given what they're doing and given how fast things are moving, my suspicion is it, it's probably not going to be that far out because when, and, and, you know, the Fed now has three mandates, right? They always had the mandate of, you know, of full employment and controlling inflation, but the third mandate really is continuous markets. And so, you know, as we were talking about earlier in this conversation, what, what happens when the bond market starts to break? And everybody, you know, I mean, look, I mean, the tenure in and of itself is absolutely ridiculous. We're getting I mean, there. You got, you got, you got, yeah, it's already broken. But I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm talking about really breaking. I mean, yeah. you got 8% inflation and you're getting a two point something percent yield, right? Yeah. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So pretty soon the, the entire bond market is going to say sold to you, Fed. And, you know, if rates, and, and so as, the, as people sell out of the tenure, which they've been doing substantially, and it goes much, much higher, it just starts shutting off everything. And, you know, then the, then the government says, well, okay, you know, and, and they can't sell their bonds. And so they have to continue to buy them themselves. And, you know, what's, what's standing between us and hyperinflation right now is just lack of awareness by enough people and in Gresham's law. I mean, that, and I've said this many times, read Reinhardt and Rogoff, read all this hyperinflation books. What you, under, what you come to understand is that hyperinflation is not, it's money velocity based on people dumping the money. And people dump the money when they come to the conclusion this is Gresham's law. They come to the conclusion there's absolutely no way the government can stop printing. Mm. And some of us already know that. I believe that. You believe that. Yeah. Others, Bitcoiners, yeah. generally believe that. Most of America doesn't still believe it. They're probably worried about it. They're starting to be worried about it, but they don't believe it. But mm -hmm. once they come to believe it, they're going to want out of Stand every over. single dollar they've got. Yeah, they're going to sell every single bond they've got. They're going to sell a lot of the stocks they've got. And they're going to move into real things. And they're going to see the price of real things going up really fast. And that's how hyperinflation happens. It's an abandonment of the currency because the stewards of the currency have so abused it and there's no way they can bring back the confidence. I mean, you know, Volcker did it. I mean, we, we, we had a mini version of this, obviously, in the 70s. Gold went from 35 to 800 and it did it when inflation was high in the teens and so forth. But, you know, we weren't as indebted and Volcker was able to step in with a 20% interest rate and bring back confidence. I mean, if we had a 20% interest rate today, the entire country would go bankrupt. Oh, I mean, yeah. there's, just no, there's no way, right? Immediately. It looked like the, yeah, it looked, <laughs> immediately. It looked like the Great Depression. And, and actually, one of the great questions on your thread was, you know, for me was, well, are we going to have hyperinflation or, you know, or, or, hyper, or deflation? And the answer is both. I mean, it's, you know, and, and, but it's just not clear in what order. Because, mm -hmm. you know, the, the inflation is going to be so messy that activity is going to collapse and that's going to lead to deflation. I mean, I think sadly what's going to probably happen 
is we're going to have you know deflation in assets, everything you own, and we're going to have inflation in everything you need to stay alive. Mm-hmm. So you know, which is why you know another question was, well, is housing a good store of value? Yes, it is if you don't lose it because it's got practical utility. The thing that's wrong with it is the government can tax it. Mm-hmm. You know, but but at least it, it's a place you can live and. You know, if you know your income is solid and you know you're not too levered on it, I mean, you, in, in some places it makes sense. You get a 30-year. I mean, there was a time when you get a 30-year mortgage for three percent. I mean, you're putting on a Hugo Stennis trade by levering yourself up to buy something you needed, right? Which is why you know I think that that housing was up 20% last year. I mean, isn't it amazing? Housing prices are up more in this cycle than they were in the 2008 housing bubble. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, to me, that's just people realizing that this is an asset that's real. And so there, it's a, it, you know, it's Gresham's law for housing. Larry, I got a question for you. You, you, you had yeah. mentioned that getting the timing of the Powell pivot is something that you can't forecast. When I'm looking at the bond yield curve and I'm looking at the, the last 40 years of this downtrend on the yields that we've seen, they seem to hit like this mechanical stop that is very predictable. When you look at all the different durations and they all kind of hit a a different yield, uh, depending on which duration you're looking at. And when I'm looking at this, uh, just as an example, like the 30 year right now is suggesting that once we get to around 2.87, we start to hit that that 40 year trend line on the 30 year. And today it's at 2 point, we'll call it 2.5%. So we're like dangerously close to this limit that we've seen for 40 years, at least on the 30 year, you go to the 10 year, I think we're already there. And so you had mentioned that you think we're getting dangerously close to whatever that limit is for the Powell pivot. Do you think that this is a good way to kind of, if a person was trying to estimate on when that's going to happen or like how much is left before things dangerously start to fall apart in the fixed income market, is this a tool that you think you could rely yes, on? Is I, there anything it, else? No, it's a great tool. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, yes, that's, that's probably your primary tool. The things I'm watching, I'm watching that. I'm watching the stock market because as the stock market starts to sell off, you know, there's negative wealth effect and so on and so forth. I'm watching the price of Bitcoin and I'm watching the price of gold and silver. I mean, to me, those really are your, you know, your dashboard for what's going on here. And everybody else is watching them too. And this is the common knowledge game that we're playing, right? So, you know, if the bond market really starts to fall apart, I mean, recall that what created, what created, I mean, we, we, we had a preview of it, frankly, it was, it's a good preview. So in March of 2020, COVID hit, right? And stock market, you know, big exogenous shock. Stock market, boom, you know, just took in a huge dive. But the thing that the really interesting clue there is what normally happens, stock market takes a dive, bond market should have been well bid, right? People should have said, okay, great, stocks are cratering. Oh yeah, I'm running into bonds. You know, bonds should have rallied like crazy. Well, they did initially. And then they started to sell off, right? And it was kind of like, and, and, and eventually, as Groman points out, eventually there was no bid in the bond market. Well, that scared the Fed. You can see it, it's in their minutes. And so, you know, that's when, Powell came in and did his draggy and said, okay, whatever it takes. And that's how we printed $4 trillion worth of money, you know, in a couple of years, which was basically all the QEs from 2008 to 2013. You know, we did it all in two years. So it's the Hemingway, you know, bankrupt, how'd you do it? You know, well, two ways, you know, gradually, then suddenly watch the acceleration, watch the second derivative, right? I mean, if we see serious acceleration 
in the sell-off in the bond market and, and rates going up. We see serious acceleration in stocks. We see serious acceleration in gold, silver, or Bitcoin. You'll know it's happening. That's to me, those are the clues. And we've seen all of those. I mean, we saw, you know, just recently we got a pretty serious, the, the Russia thing hit, we got a pretty serious acceleration in gold. But then they kind of got it under control. Yeah, nickel blew up, but they put that back in the can and, you know, they got everything under control. And we're, you know, gold's come back off of the down below 2000, came back and tested, you know, below 1900s. I mean, you know, so you get these, it's like waves. You get a wave and then it'll stop and you'll, you'll get a retrace, but not all the way back. I mean, gold's not back in the 1800s, the 1700s, right? I mean, Bitcoin, same thing. Or Bitcoin was in the high 69 area. You know, and, and okay, it, it slowed down. It, it, it run awfully hard, right? I mean, everyone who was in it at five or 10,000 was feeling pretty good at 69. I recall it. They were all telling me I was an absolute idiot for owning gold. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I mean, look, I get it, you know. And then it backed off to 30. You know, there was, kind of, was, was a lot more silence, kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so these are the, to me, these are the indicators, right? Because they are the most liquid, most watched signposts. And you can bet that when Bitcoin did that, alarm bells were going off in Washington, D.C. and at the Fed. I mean, they oh, yeah. had, right? I mean, an exchange stabilization fund. Just as when gold takes out 2000 the next time, which I think it will within a month or two here, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to squirt on up to 2500 or 3000 It's going to be game on and these stocks are going to go berserk. And, you know, everybody's going to go, huh, what's going on here? And it's going to be because of the obvious inflation and more and more people coming to realize. I mean, I, I think I've said this many, many times, but it's just substitution. I mean, you've got 350 trillion of financial assets. You've got 7 trillion of sound money assets. All that 350 trillion has to do is some piece of that has to say, hey, I'm not holding my purchasing power. Give me some of that sound money stuff. And so even if it's only 10%, that's 35 trillion fiat assets chasing 7 trillion of gold, silver, Bitcoin, and gold stocks. I mean, it's, you know, what's going to happen? The seven's going to get bigger. You know, that's just going to happen. I mean, that's a fact. And so, you know, people have asked for my targets on this stuff. I mean, I think this year we'll see gold at 3,000. I think this year we'll probably see Bitcoin at 150. I think this year we'll probably see silver at 50, you know, in the next wave up. And if the pivot comes, and, I, and that's, even, so, that's even before the pivot. So I mean, Larry, I think, when you say pivot, are you saying yield curve control is, is basically what's going to have to happen for them to get things um, under control? Or what do you think that that yeah, pivot looks no, like? No, I'm saying, yes, yield curve control would be one form of the pivot because they have to spend, you know, they have to grow their balance sheet to do that. And they've claimed they're going to shrink their balance sheet. Yeah, yield curve control. Any, any reversal of this tough guy Fed talk that we've heard. But my sense, here's my sense, Preston, this is important. A lot of people are like, well, they're going to roll over right away. I don't think so. I think they're going to, I think they know, I think they're, I think they're aware of how they're, how much fire they're dealing with here. And I actually think they're going to, they're going to let the, I mean, Joe Wang on, on Twitter does a good job of this. I think they're going to let the stock market go down 20 or 30%. I mean, I, I really, I, you know, I think, and, and I think the reason they're going to do it is they, they kind of need to do it to create demand destruction, to have a chance of getting oil and all this energy inflation back in the can. So, you know, the, the you know, my, previous- my sense is, the previous sell-offs, I'm sorry to interrupt you, the previous yeah. sell-offs that we've seen that have been pretty sizable in, in the yeah. last, if, if you even want to call them this, in the last decade have been around that point that you just said, that, that percentage drop. I know the March, right. we were down 30% in March on the, right. on, uh, the NASDAQ at least. Right. So when I chart that out 
from the high that we've seen in the NASDAQ, it's it's pretty much right where you're saying another 25% from here before they're going to step in and do anything. Right. And it seems like that's their trigger that things, if they let it go any more than that, it's it's going to really get disgusting and maybe difficult to even calm the markets. Or, or- I, think, I think that's exactly right. I think they know that's the point at which people really start to freak out and they got yeah. no chance of bringing it back. And so, you know, as much as, I mean, and they'll, you know, they'll probably have some excuse for it. It'll be, I mean, I, it's interesting. To oh, the way yeah. They, Russia. Right. They blame. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Russia. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not our fault. We had to do this. this is the only natural thing to do, you know, and, and they'll do, I mean, they've already started doing this, right? I mean, the gasoline prices in, are high in California. Pelosi says we should start sending checks to people as rebates. Other countries have talked about that too. Yeah. You know, so, oh, where's that money going to come from? Well, we're going to print it. So, you know, look, there, there will be, and, and people will be screaming, you know, bloody murder in terms of gas prices and food prices. You know, the, the elect, there's an election coming up. So, I mean, one thing I'm sure of, my guess is before the election comes up, you know, Biden's going to forgive all the student debt, right? He'll just waive that. You know, they, that's, a, that's an interesting call. And I, I think you might be on to something there because they're going to have to do something pretty miraculous in order to no, turn the tide here <laughs> based on yeah, the numbers I mean, that I'm seeing. Well, you know, yeah, he's got 40% approval rating. It's going to get lower. I mean, look, you know, you would not want to be a politician in this country, anywhere really in the world in the next year. I mean, there are going to be a lot of really righteously pissed off people. I get it. Mm -hmm. And they're going to take it out, I hope, on all the incumbents, because frankly, they all stink, you know, and and then hopefully, you know, over time, probably not this cycle, but a few cycles out, we actually start getting some sound money incumbent, you know, sound money candidates. You know, who were like, look, you know, you hate the inflation we're living with. We do too. Here's how you solve it. You do a monetary restructuring, you know, and, 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 and that would be a lot easier, not easier, but it would be a, a fairer way of solving this problem rather than letting it go to its end conclusion of runaway inflation. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. If you're looking for the right franchise concept at the right time, an iFlex Stretch Studio franchise is the business for you. iFlex is the newest franchise concept from the founders of the Joint Chiropractic. With over 200 licenses already awarded to our regional developers, there's never been a better time to own an iFlex franchise in your market. An iFlex Stretch Studio franchise offers its clients the best in professional-assisted stretching for one affordable price in one beautiful location. Even the Mayo Clinic says stretching can increase flexibility and improve your joint's range of motion, helping you move more freely. Prime regional developer opportunities and franchise locations are going fast. Don't miss this opportunity to get into this rapidly growing health and wellness business from the founders of The Joint Chiropractic. Find out more today. Call 888-994-3500. 539 or visit iflexpodcast.com. Call right now, 888-994-3539 or visit iflexpodcast.com. Kyle, you're connected with a ton of different investors and portfolio managers, and you're just really in the know on a lot of these things. How do you keep up with all the day-to-day headlines for your portfolio companies? Yeah, so I used to have a ton of issues with this, and that was until I started using Yahoo Finance. Really? What's so great about it? So Yahoo Finance is awesome. I have my whole portfolio entered and I can easily see all the top headlines to keep up with the recent news. And each day you get an overview of the major global events that might be moving the market. So I'm ready to easily pounce on any opportunities that come my way. What else can you do on Yahoo Finance's platform? 
They also have a number of cool features, including a tool that lets you link all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings, and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Well, now I know that the audience is really going to love this one. And I actually see they have 90 million monthly active users. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business, and they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify dot com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right, back to the show. So here's, here's my issue. I think you already know my issue with gold, right? I don't have an issue with gold on an individual level. Like right. if, a, if an individual investor wants to own it, hold it to preserve buying power, like I have absolutely no issue with that. Where I get frustrated with gold is on a sovereign level in that you're going to have governments that through branding and marketing <laughs> suggest, oh, yeah. oh, suggest yeah. that they've got a peg when in reality, I mean, you, could, you can go back and look at it, even in this country from the 1940s until we came off the gold standard. Did we really have a peg or did we have a, a peg in branding and marketing because we were adjusting the money multiplier. I've got charts that, that kind of show yeah. how we were adjusting that money multiplier based on what yeah, they had in, in the vaults. Right. And so, although it briefed well in practicality, like any other gold standard, it failed because they were manipulating the ledger and they were manipulating the yep. amount of currency that was riding on top of the amount of gold that was in, in the vaults. So where I get where I get a little bit frustrated with, and and you would see this. I think Russia is a perfect example. They're threatening, or they're I don't know. You call it a threat. They're saying that they're going to start backing their currency with gold, or that they're going to accept gold for their oil sales, and that it's becoming sound money. But in order to to actually truly run a peg, you have to be willing to sell the gold in the vault at a certain price in order to peg the currency. Yeah, I think, and, and this is. You know, this is me when I'm looking at the competitive landscape that we've got happening around the globe to engineer growth through debasement. 
you're in this ultimate rat race of like a hundred meter sprint where the only way you can possibly win is by cheating better than the person standing next to you. Right. right. So thinking that any one of these nation states are somehow going to just, oh yeah, we're going to, we are going to actually run this race by the rules fully knowing that nobody else here running the race is going to run by the, obey the rules. I just don't see it happening. I don't see it happening based on the demand by the populace for manipulation of currency and debasement, the free college, the you name it, right? The populace wants this as of right now. That's about to change like you've like so eloquently highlighted, like there's going to be a call for the exact flippening of that. But I think right yeah. now to think that, that anybody could go along with, with this for sound money policies at a time where the cheating is the only way you can possibly stay in the race. I, I just don't know how it's possibly going to work. Yeah, well, I agree with you there. I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with any of that. And, and there's no doubt that the great flaw of the gold you know, model and, is that you know, it's not verifiable and it's hard to move and you can cheat on it and everything else. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. it's failed. I mean, the gold standard has failed. It, at a sovereign failed. level, yeah. At a sovereign level, at a, yeah. At, at a, you know, until Bitcoin was invented, it was the, it was the, 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 best, you know, the best of all alternatives. It was the, you know, the least worst alternative. Um, and now Bitcoin's a better alternative, um, you know, because of the way it's structured. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's still relevant though. And, you know, some people have asked the question of, you know, how do I see it unfolding and will gold have, you know, any monetary value in 10 years? And look, time, time, time it takes time for people to change perceptions. And you got, you know, 5,000 years of Lindy effect on gold and you got, you know, I don't know, what is it, 12, 13 years of no, more, you know, on Bitcoin. And, and so I don't, gold's not going away. Um, you know, I'm completely where sailor is that Bitcoin's a superior form of gold, you know, or, or sound money. But I, but I differ with him in the sense that I don't think gold is Bitcoin's enemy. You know, I think that uh, I think there's there's a transition period that's going to occur between the two, and they they both they're both sound money with slightly different characteristics. And so, you know, I, I foresee. I mean, Bitcoin is clearly the faster horse in the race and the better of the two, and probably where we'll end up in 20 years in terms of base money. Which we need. We need a neutral reserve currency. I mean, I don't think you know. I don't think most people in the world even have a clue of what Triffin's dilemma is. But you know, at, at top monetary circles, they understand what it is. And so we will go to a, a neutral reserve currency. I think out of this fourth turning, because what will happen is these will be so awfully broken, and people will have suffered so much that you know somebody smart will get in there and say this is the solution. And I, I, I pray that that solution is ultimately Bitcoin. I think it probably will be. But I also think that. There's a chance that between here and there, you know, you've got three nuclear powers in the world, three big nuclear powers, you get more, but, you know, Russia, China, and ourselves, and two of them are betting pretty heavily on gold. And we could leapfrog them if we bet on Bitcoin. I think we should. And hopefully that's what Jason Lowry is able to convince the Pentagon of. But, you know, it's a tricky issue and I wrestle with it every day. I mean, you know, my personal account, my PA, you know, I'm, I'm much more heavily Bitcoin than gold, but I, I also manage a gold fund, a gold stock fund. And, you know, a lot of my investors are boomers that want nothing to do with Bitcoin. And, you know, I've got 20% of my fund in Bitcoin and they've seen the performance and they like that, but they, you know, they, they don't want to give up on the gold. And I understand why, you know, this is, this is a new technology that they, they view as not being widely accepted and having risk. I think that's, that's falling away. I, I've said in the past, I went to the gold show and I gave a speech on the, why all gold people need to own Bitcoin and a speech available, it's out on the web. And, you know, this was a, a gold show with a lot of older people who've owned gold for a long time, been very frustrated. 
And somebody asked the question, said, how many of you guys own Bitcoin? Half the hands went up. I thought that was impressive. Your gold holder is your best Bitcoin convert. You know, they understand the monetary issue. Yeah. They just, yeah. They just need to understand what, you know, digital immutability is. But Bitcoin's, <laughs> not, Bitcoin's not Doge, right? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, completely, it's completely different. It's not XRP. It's the real deal. And so once they come to understand that, most of them eventually embrace it and start transitioning over and, and like me, you know, become more and more, you know, into it as time goes by. So, but how this whole thing unfolds, none of us know, right? I mean, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of politics involved. I think that what we can say with, what I can say with confidence, what I believe anyway, is that for individuals and families, if you want to carry your savings and wealth through for your kids, grandkids, and, you know, your family, your next generations, you know, your best places to be are, you know, in, in this order, you know, Bitcoin, silver, gold. Or maybe gold, silver, silver is more volatile. But, you know, and, and somebody asked a question on the thread, you know, if you had 100,000, how would you allocate it? You know, I'd probably put the average person, I'd probably put them a third into each of those three things. You know, I mean, I know there are people who say, well, you should go 100% Bitcoin. Well, whatever. I mean, it, look, they're well, all, all going to maintain value, you know, over time. I think a really important thing that's missed, especially uh, with the few characters that you have on Twitter, is yeah. age. When you're, when you're doing portfolio construction and you're also considering, well, wh what lifestyle is this person trying to preserve at that particular point in their life? Or if you're dealing with a young person, right? How much, how much is this person trying to grow and how much risk tolerance are they willing to take based on how much more time they have to catch up if they're wrong? And these, these, are, these are nuances that are vital to portfolio construction, right? Absolutely, absolutely. That no one ever addresses. And, and yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll add to that volatility, which you, you alluded to with the risk point of view. I mean, you know, the, the, I mean, look, people in the Bitcoin space can handle a 30% drawdown, a 50% drawdown, even yeah. an 80% drawdown, because we know what it is. We believe in the long term. We know it's going to win. We're, it's, they're going to be worth millions of dollars per coin, you know, full stop. So we're good. But you know, if I take my 80-year-old mother and put her into Bitcoin, and she's looking at the statements every month, right? And I put all her net worth into Bitcoin, and she, you know, her net worth gets drawn down by 50%. She is gonna freak out. Yeah. I think she is gonna completely and totally freak out, and she just can't handle that. So, you know, it, as you point out, everybody has a diff different risk tolerance. There are different points in their life, and you know, gold has never had an 80% drawdown. It just hasn't. You know, so. And yet they, you know, they all represent sound money in today's world. Here's a question I loved. I don't, I don't think you're prepared for this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when will uh -oh. clown world peak? Yeah, so I love that question too. <laughs> I think clown world will peak when it gets very serious and real. You know what I mean? And, and, yeah. I, and I'm, I'm sad to, to have to say that, but I think, you know, let's... Let's look at a prior example. Let's say the, the roaring 20s when everyone was you know, drinking like crazy and partying and the good times were roaring and the stock market was going up. And you know, I remember my grandfather had a business and he levered it up and he almost lost it because of that leverage. And you know, that, was, that was kind of happy times clown world. And it's maybe similar to what we've lived through here with this bull market. Okay. And then the depression hit and he was struggling to survive. And so was everybody else. They were just trying to feed themselves. And then, you know, I mean, there are people who in the Midwest who live by, you know, I've read stories of this, when they literally live by you know, the fact that they had a gun, they were able to shoot squirrels and possums and, 
You know, they were, that's, how, that's how they got their food, right? You know, and then, and then a war broke out and, you know, it was an existential war. It was for all the marbles. You had a bunch of evil powers that wanted to take over the world and, you know, we had to go overseas and slay them. You know, the people who did that, you know, those were serious people. I mean, that was, that was the greatest generation. Those were very serious people who addressed a very serious issue. And there weren't any clowns left. And after that, you know, we had a pretty stable world in the 50s and 60s. It didn't feel stable to them because they were about the Cold War and a lot of other things. But there's a lot of good going on, you know, before they decided to assassinate a president and start a war. But I guess my point is, I think that when times get tough, and I, sadly, I think they're about to get really tough, that clown world's going to go away. Mm-hmm. NFTs aren't going to have any value. You know, it's, I mean, we're going we're gonna to go back to some fundamental values. You know, who do you know? You know, who can you trust? What do you value? You know, family and friends, you know, what really counts? And, uh, you know, what do you produce? Not what do you lie about or say you've got or how much paper can you shuffle, but what can you actually do? You know, are you a doctor? Can you heal people? You know, whatever it might be. You know, are you an oil field worker? Can you help, you know, get oil out of the ground? Are you a farmer? Can you produce food? I mean, people who do real stuff have been terribly left behind and undercompensated in this 40-year finance bubble. Amen to that, sir. Amen to that. Right? I mean, it's tragic. It's just tragic. Look at the way that Midwest was hollowed out. Yes. You know, then then you had the Sacklers come in and, you know, mess them all up with all those drugs and kill all those people. I mean, yes. what's happened to this company is the country is absolutely tragic. And yet, and yet there are enough people around, there's enough of a remnant around who remembers what it used to be like because mm-hmm. we grew up in the good times and we knew we had grandparents who fought in those wars and, you know, and uncles and aunts. And we believed, you know, in the fundamental goodness of, of this country. And it is a great country with great people. And even though, you know, it's, it's gone very much astray, tough times, you know, and Marty and Jack's generation, they're yeah. going to step up. Yeah. They're going to step up and go, you guys F this up and we know how to fix it. And here's what we do. We go back to sound money. You know, we reward the right things. We get the money out of politics. We put in term limits. You know, we go back to what the founding principle, we investigate the CIA. Maybe we shut it down. You know, we go back to the founding the principles this country was founded on and, you know, and therefore our, you know, our grandkids will live much better lives. And, you know, there's a lot of good out there. There's a lot, there's been so much in the way of technical advances that are fabulous. Yeah. But, you know, and there's a lot of good out there. I mean, if we can just stop from blowing ourselves up, I mean, that's my greatest fear is just, that, you know, even in this little thing, I mean, this little Ukrainian thing reminds me very much of, you know, World War I and how they stumbled into that. Yes. And I mean, you know, so, I mean, you know, insulting, I mean, sitting there and having like, you know, schoolboy bully fights with each other. I mean, the way Putin talks to Biden and the way Biden talks to Putin, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, these guys have nuclear weapons, you know, in their, in their hands. You know, who knows if somebody makes a misstep, right? I mean, it's, to me, that's, it's a very dangerous thing that's going on and they need to calm the war side of this down. If they want to fight it at an economic level, great. You know, let's fight it out over money and sound money and resources. Okay. You know, that's, that's a fight. I mean, if we get back to a neutral monetary standard, Luke, I'm sure in your conversation with him pointed this out. If we get back to a neutral monetary standard, U.S. industry will, will grow. I mean, Intel's putting a plant into Ohio. You know, I mean, we, we, we will come back. I mean, what we, what we, the mistakes we've made will get solved. 
with a, with a sound monetary standard. But they won't get solved until we get there. And sadly, I don't think our, our leaders today aren't smart enough to take us there without having this blow up. And it's going to blow up. I mean, I, I, that's one thing I really strongly believe in my bones. It is going to blow up. And soon. I mean, certainly within 10 years and probably within five. So, uh, and that's sad. I'm not happy to say that, but I, you know, uh, what, I, what I'm good at, what I've been paid to do is analyze stuff. And I've looked at historically the patterns and it's, that strikes me that that's the pattern. It's going to blow up. Larry, the last time we had this shock to the stock market, you and I both yeah. agree, we think that this is coming pretty, pretty soon. The uh, NASDAQ was down about 30% through that March 2020 sell-off. Right. That same period of time, gold was down. It wasn't down a lot. Bitcoin was down 60% through this sell-off with equities. Now, it had a substantial recovery, very quick, back fast, very yeah. quick recovery. Uh, do we see something similar to that on this go around? You could, you could. With each, you know, with each cycle, people get smarter. So it's different every time. I mean, Bitcoin has had several 80% drawdowns. I mean, but I think there's more and more people who are realizing that it's a safe harbor. And I, I actually feel the same way with gold. You know, in 2008, gold sold off hard. I mean, look, in, in a liquidity crunch, you know, correlations go to one and everything goes down. Everyone's just scrambling for cash, yeah. right, to stay alive. So you sell, you don't sell what you want to sell, you sell what you can <laughs> sell, right, sell, right, what you have to sell, yes. right. I mean, I, you know, I actually had, I had a bunch of silver ounces that I had put at a depository and levered them up. And I, you know, in, in March of 20, 2020, you know, I got a call that basically said, you got to come up with X thousand dollars. It was a big number. It was like, you know, almost as, it was a big six figure number, you know, in three days or else, you know, we're going to force sell your silver at $12 an ounce. And it kind of was a lesson for me about leverage, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's why I, I, I've often said on Bitcoin holders, other holders, be careful not to be leveraged. Yeah. Right. I mean, you got to know what you own. You got to know why you own it. And you got to be prepared. You know, and it's the same with houses. I mean, people are, well, okay, I'm going to do the stimulus trade. I'm going to buy this house because they're going up and I know it's going to work and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get a mortgage. Well, okay. You do all that. We have a depression. You lose your job. You know, your house in value is inflated. You know, you can't make the mortgage payments. You're going to lose the house. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, to answer your question, I don't think we will have that deep a drawdown in silver, gold, or Bitcoin this time around, because I think a large percentage of the people have become aware of the issue. And the issue is the monetary you know, debasement. And these are your safe havens. In fact, I've seen more and more things where if the stock market, you know, we've seen days where the stock market will be weak, the bond market will be weak, and the gold share market will be strong. You know, which is very interesting to me. You're starting to see, you know, you're starting to see these correlations break. And I mean, year to date, you know, my fund is up. You know, year to date, the stock market's down. I mean, it's not a huge gap between the two, but that's unusual. That hasn't happened. For hey, a that's while. worth bragging about, Larry. That's worth. Bragging. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, it's not bragging. It's just an observation. And I, no, I think you're right. that gap. I think that gap's going to get bigger. Yeah, I think that gap's going to be. But I mean, certainly on a short-term basis, could any of these things get hit? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's. I mean, there's a get on um, Twitter and um, Google Mermican. Have you seen the Mermican chart on the German Deutsche Mark in? Oh yeah, terms? yeah, the volatility. Right? In it. Yeah, yeah. Look yeah. at the volatility, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, there's. there's I think that's a really you know, important chart for what's yeah. to come here in the next five years for people to to fully understand exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. I mean, you know, and, and that's, to me, that's the, you know, as you're trying to guide people through this, it's extremely important that you help them understand what they own, why they own it. You know, I mean, like look at the Bitcoiners who pumped it at 17,000 to people who didn't understand what they were buying. Mm-hmm. And then it went down and then they blew it out at 3,500 and guys like me bought it at 3,500. Yeah. And I was buying, by the way, I bought it at 17,000 too. But, the, but you see, the, the point is, this is like we're flying an airplane and conditions are getting really bad and we're maybe on the borderline of crashing. I mean, you know, the dials are going to start going nuts. Yeah. You know, and you're going to, I mean, when the dials are going nuts, you got to know, you got to have, you know, you got to have your hand on the stick and you got to understand exactly what you're aiming for, you know? And so you don't want to get blown out of your sound money assets. You don't want to get blown out of your house. You don't want to get blown out of your, you know, your Bitcoin. You don't want to get blown out of your silver or your gold, you know, and leverage can do that to you. Larry, this is my last question for you. So people hearing this, this can get depressing. This can, this can get people down, right? But give people kind of a message of hope or a message of, you know, if if you're on the right side of this, there's large opportunities here for for folks. So absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, you know, it's, I got smashed from, from 2011 to 2015, you know, I got absolutely smashed because I was long gold and gold stocks. I mean, I watched my net worth, you know, really severely decline. And, and that was horrible. It was one of the worst things I've ever been through. And yet it was that smash that caused me to realize I was, you know, physically out of shape and I, I wanted to be around to fight the battle and win at the end of the game. And so I went crazy on getting into shape. I got into CrossFit and everything else. And so the point I guess I'm trying to make is that you know, this is going to be tough, but you can view that as bad or you can view that as an opportunity. You can view it as, as, as a chance, you know, and, and, you know, we're all playing for, for posterity, right? We've only got so much time here. And, you know, some, some point it'll be near the end game and the kids will be saying, man, grandpa did it right. Do you know what I mean? I mean, he, you know, things really sucked. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't fun being 18 years old in 1939, you know, in the United States. And, you know, the Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor or, you know, 41, 42, the Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor and, you know, the, the Nazis are rolling through Germany and, you know, you're, you're fighting age and you realize this is going to suck. But the, the flip of that is, you know, you, you got a chance to, you know, to prove yourself in a very tough environment. And if you come out the other side, you're going to be the greatest generation. I mean, and, and I do think, I mean, there really is brightness on the other side of this. I mean, when we fix this, you know, it's going to be a much better world. It yeah. really is. I mean, yeah. it's not a bad world. I mean, what, what, what we've got is we've got bad leaders and a broken system. And so every generation has the challenge that they've got to endure. And, you know, this, this, uh, this group of us living today, you know, we've, I mean, and the boomers, you know, look, the boomers are going to suffer later in their life. That's because we've had a pretty cushy life, you know, for the last 30 or 40 years, right? And now we're about to get tested. And that's going to really suck for some boomers if they're, they're not on the right side of this. For young people, arguably, it's an enormous opportunity. Enormous. I mean, you know, they get on the right side of this. And, you know, I mean, I don't think this is going to last 30 or 40 years. I mean, this no. is going to get taken. This is going to be over. I mean, if you look at fourth turnings, if you look at fourth turnings, they're typically 20 to 30 years long. And I, I think this one started in 08. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I agree with you there. Right? So, you know, okay, worst case, it's 20, 30, you know, eight-ish. So, you know, young people will have a lot of good life post this issue. And I don't think it's going to go that long. I think it's probably going to be over by 2030. That's my opinion. 
So I, I have been I have been wrong on timing though. Things sometimes do take longer than I think. So perhaps it's a bit longer. But you know, it's I, look, it's an opportunity if you view it as an opportunity. And irrespective of how you view it, you know, we don't get to choose the conditions we live in. All we get to choose is how we respond to them. And so, you know, I've always been very much of the stoic philosophy that, you know, I mean, whatever the times throw at us, let them throw them at us. You know, what matters isn't, you know, I mean, what matters is, are we doing it right? Are, you know, are we doing what's honorable? Are we doing what's correct? Are we doing what's ethical? You know, are we working hard? Are we being the best version of ourselves? I don't know. I, I don't know. Personally, I don't want a cushy life. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I really don't. I, I wanna, love that. You know, I, I make, love that. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to push. I mean, you know, I'm in the CrossFit. It's like, you, you know, you just push yourself as hard as you possibly can. I, you know, I want to be the best version of me I can be. Yeah. I don't want a cushy life. I want to, I want to be challenged. I think Bitcoiners feel that way too. They want to change the world. I totally you know, agree with that. <laughs> fix, fix the money, fix the world. And if anyone's listening to this or looking at this, I mean, the people who are inclined to listen to this, you have a set of knowledge that most people don't have. And so imagine, you know, understanding, fully understanding what's going on and being in a position to help yourself, help other people, help your friends, educate people, change the world for the better. So, I, you know, there is, a, in my view, even though there could be some very rough stuff that happens, and there'll always be rough stuff happening in the world, you know, there's a way for all of us to feel good about it and to, you know, to make progress with it. So, and, and let me just say this, you know, I go to gold shows and the people are depressed because they've been fighting this battle for so long and they're so depressed. I go to Bitcoin things, everyone's fired up. That's what I love about Bitcoin. I mean, it's such a sharp spear. Yeah. It, it, is, it is definitely, I mean, the other side, they're totally screwed. Yeah. They are totally, I mean, we're, we're going to win. I mean, yeah. we're going to win big time. And that, that's going to be fun too. But along the way, is it going to be rough? Yeah, it's going to be rough. There's no doubt. <laughs> I love There's that. No doubt. Harness your yeah. environment. Don't be a victim of it. I love the message. Larry, thank you so much for making time. We have to do this more often. I need to bring you onto the show more often here because well, uh, whatever. I'm wealth happy of to do it. I, yeah. yeah, I enjoy talking to you. It's really a lot of fun. I, you know, it's off the cuff, I know. <laughs> we we got to get a high five in uh, next week down in Miami. Yeah, I'll see. I'll see in Miami. It's only yeah. a week away, so I'll see you next week. Awesome, awesome. Thank okay, you good. so much for your time, Larry. Thank you. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for We Study Billionaires. The Bitcoin specific shows come out every Wednesday, and I'd love to have you as a regular listener. If you enjoyed the show, or you learned something new, or you found it valuable. If you can leave a review, we would really appreciate that. And it's something that helps others find the interview in the search algorithm. So anything you can do to help out with a review, we would just greatly appreciate. And with that, thanks for listening. And I'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.